I'm going to invite you, if you're able and would like to, to stand with me. And um, this is our last message in the Sermon on the Mount. And so, uh, I, as, as if you if you're able, if you're not, it's fine, totally fine. I'm, I'm just going to invite us to go through these beatitudes as we have tried to uh, embody them. And that they are uh, the, each of these gestures is a simple way to embody and to remember the beatitudes, and I, which I believe these nine beatitudes really comes from Mark Scandrett's book called The Ninefold Path of Jesus, but really is descriptive of the life that Jesus invites us into. So as, as uh, the Lord brings it to your memory, let's go for it, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit. So open-handed trust. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, the next. Blessed are those who mourn and lament, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek and the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here's the last gesture this today. Blessed are those who are Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they treated the prophets who were before you. Amen. You may be seated. Good job. Um, as Denise said, you know, it's, it's really good. Uh, she said, I think I'm getting now to the point where I almost have them all memorized. Now, honey, here's the deal in our household. Now you can get your ears pierced. Yeah, that's the way it works in our house. You memorize the Beatitudes, and then you, you do get that pass. All right, I want to give you guys a translation that uh, came across last week from uh, a, a man who I consider to be a, a, a strong, solid voice that Denise and I have been listening to here for the last couple of years. And he's, he's a pastor from Kansas City. His name is Brian Zahn, and he wrote his own translation this will be in the notes, and it will be online if you want to refer to them. So, okay, so don't even try to write them all down. But here we go. Blessed are those who are poor at being, at being spiritual, for the kingdom of heaven is well suited for ordinary people. Blessed are the depressed who mourn and grieve, for they create space to encounter comfort from one another. Blessed are the gentle and trusting who are not grasping and clutching, for God will personally guarantee their share as heaven comes to earth. Blessed are those who ache for the world to be made right. For them, the government of God is a dream come true. Blessed are those who give mercy, for they will get back what they need most. Blessed are those who have a clean window in their soul. For they will perceive God when and where others don't. Blessed are the bridge builders in a war-torn world. For they are God's children working in the family business. I love that. Blessed are those who are maligned and mistreated for the right reasons. For the kingdom of heaven comes to earth amidst such persecution. And today we're looking at 
Uh, the title of the message this morning is The Way of Radical Love. It's the second, I, I titled last week, The Way of Radical Love, Part 1, uh, because I believe uh, verses 10, 11, and 12 are very similar uh, in, in nature. The Way of Radical Love. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. You know, it was during the first month of my role as an associate um, that the pastor I was working under, uh, and I was working to support him, he, he made the decision he wanted to take me to visit all the shut-ins that were in the neighborhood. And so there in the West Central neighborhood, there were a couple of women that we went to go see. One was a remarkable woman, frail in her um, in, in body. I mean, this, this woman was barely able, I mean, she genuinely was shut in um, and, and had a number of physical uh, ailments. She barely was able to survive on Social Security check that she had had. Uh, she was a widow. Both of these ladies were widows. She did, had very little. She lived in a small house on Rock Hill Avenue in the West Central neighborhood, about four blocks away from the church. And yet, what's interesting about Rhoda is, I remember this woman, frail lady, but you could never go to visit her house without her saying, come sit with me over here. And where we would sit was at her little place of prayer. And her place of prayer was a chair that overlooked a little window, and there was a bush outside of that window, and she called it her prayer bush. She said, this is where I meet God. And so uh, she would often, she would ask me how we were doing. She prayed for Denise and I. She prayed for us uh, through the loss of our uh, son. She prayed for us. Then later, there are times I even contacted her with, as far as praying for us uh, with our son Holden when he was going through a lot of asthma challenges. Um, she was just an amazing lady. And she, she had a number of uh, young people that would, she ha had them live with her. Uh, of course, they had to pay some rent so that she could, I mean, it helped her actually survive. But these young people who would wind up living there said it was a privilege to live there because she began to teach them how to pray uh, and, a, and a life of prayer together. Um, but I, I, I did her funeral um, a number of years uh, later. And I, the, here's what's interesting to me is I, I, I walked that neighborhood a number of times. There are times I would get just, you know, uh, my head would get full, my heart, you know, and I just I would have to go take a walk. And so in my walks, I would often walk by Rhoda's old house, or I would drive by it intentionally. And every time I drove by, and, and I, I ever drive up Rock Hill Avenue, I look at that little house. It's perched between Wayne and the, the oh, whatever that lower street is below it, and it's on a little, little hill. Um, Pardon me? Theme. That sounds right. It's it's near uh, Carol Lombard's house. You know, it's right right there. Anyway, we we um, and I've drank. It's not a very big place, but I, I look for the bush. Um, this lady, uh, when she was after she had been widowed and was alone, and she began to have a conversation with the Lord because she said, "Lord, I can't drive anymore, so I need a church near my house." I mean, this is the way she would talk with the Lord. <laughs> she said, I need, I need, my Lord, I need a place. And there wasn't any place she could, she said, I, I, I need a place I could walk to. I need a church I could walk to. This was, 
before there was any church that was within walking distance, really, really close to her. And so um, she, I, if, I, if memory hits me correctly, she began to pray about this empty building on the corner of Broadway and Wayne before they ever dreamed about moving there. Um, this is just, it was just, there's amazing stories. It's like, get, I, I would like to be on your prayer list, lady. Pray for me. Um, so, you know, the times I, I just, she had, it was her courageous heart of faith. Now, I, I have another friend in the room right now that I feel like operates in that same kind of gift of faith. And you guys probably know who I'm talking about. It's Pastor Luis. Just there's a, a gracious gift of faith in their hearts to believe God for his heart to be revealed in the earth. Okay? Um, and I want to walk with those kinds of friends and people. Um, she's, a, she's just a wonderful lady. Now, about a block away... There was another woman, and her husband had died a few years before of kidney failure, and to my understanding was a, was a sweet man, nice, you know, generous man, but this, this lady lived on Wayne Street in a gorgeous two-story brick home on West Wayne. Uh, and, and even in, uh, this is, I'm dating myself because this is going to be, what, uh, 35 years ago that, you know, I'm coming up to this building. I can't believe it's been that long, honey, but it has. Anyways, we're somewhere around that neighborhood. Uh, I was told that, that that house was filled with antiques. I never saw them because whenever we went to visit her, we had to go in directly into the basement uh, because that's where she lived. And she would peer through the door and then let you in, make sure, find out who you were. Um, and then once coming into the basement, she lived in just a small portion of that basement. So she had a house that easily, it was over 2,000 square feet, beautiful home. And she was living in just a few hundred square feet of her basement. She sat on broken furniture in a broken down bed and in, you know, eating out of Tupperware containers. It was, now, I don't, I want you to understand, it isn't that that offends me. What was so remarkable about that situation was that she owned everything in that house and a very large investment portfolio that she would remind you of when you went to visit her. And that, oh, by the way, that is, it was willed to the church. And she would want us to be aware of that. And that it was, at that point, somewhere around a half a million dollars and so, as at one particular time when I was there with her, she had, you know, there were meals that were, the Meals on Wheels people were delivering. She's clipping coupons. We're sitting on some busted piece of furniture. And she's telling me how difficult that her life was. What I remembered was, it, you see, it wasn't so much the contents of her house or, or the situation, but what I remember was the deep fear that held her mind and her heart. That that she was afraid of almost anything and everybody. Uh, she was afraid of not having enough food, and it didn't make sense. She was afraid she didn't have enough money, and it didn't make sense. She feared anyone who would come to the door because somehow they were maybe taking something from her. She was a very unhappy, fear-filled woman. Now, I, I, don't, I think I did her funeral. If I did, it's obviously I don't remember her name because it wasn't very remarkable to me. Uh, um, I, I think it was one of the other pastors that did her, her funeral. But it, it, my point being that any time you would go to visit her, the topic turned to something that was fear-based. 
And, and what I remember most of all is this woman living in a basement who had abundance but was held captive by fear and lived impoverished. And it was, it was just an awful uh, commentary. Fear, beloved, is a horrible thing, but it's real. You hear me? Um, fear is the fuel behind a lot of human behavior. Fear is the thing that fuels a lot of politics. Fear is the thing that fuels a lot of economic engines around the world. I lived in the 70s as a child, the 60s and 70s, literally in the shadow of NORAD in Colorado Springs. I remember being, you know, having these drills where we crawled underneath our desks and were told what we would do during a nuclear attack. Like, that was going to help us. Now that I think about it, it's like, okay, but we did it anyway. Uh, because we were regularly reminded of the threats that were around us and that we needed to be afraid of, the, of those countries that we needed to be afraid of. And now, some, in some ways, it seems a bit ridiculous, but do, uh, do, do, do very many of you remember a thing called Y2K and the whole cottage industry called PrEP that it created? And I, I mean, for real, I mean, like I got pastors who telling me about friends who digging holes in the ground, literally put a bus under the ground to prepare themselves for Y2K. That was here, not somewhere else. That was here. Um, and here, you know, if we're honest, fear has found its way into the church and even in how we proclaim the gospel, beloved. Oh, guys, I... I See, part of my passion in proclaiming the gospel is that we begin to shed off of us anything that is based in fear, the fear of hell, fear of punishment, becoming the motivators of our gospel. That, beloved, is a perversion of the gospel. Okay? Any form of the gospel that is based in fear is not the gospel. Fear is the opposite of love. We think that hate is the opposite of love. Fear is the opposite of love. Because that's why John says perfect love drives out fear. <clears throat> fear doesn't lead to courage. It leads to a cowardice. Um, it leads us to cowering in the corner and hiding behind doors and peering doors open and sitting in our basement. Um, we as followers of Jesus need to be discerning because fear is the place where hell can become embodied in a very tangible way, in our lives and in a corporate expression. I mean, I, I grew up with a mom and a dad that lived in the shadow of having to, to, to live under Nazi occupation. And how did that happen? How did, the, how did Hitler gain control? It didn't even make sense unless you begin to think about this reality, about the fear of instability that had so gripped people that said, that's a better option than what I'm afraid of. Fear, beloved, is a, is a weapon of hell. The power systems of the world, listen to me, many of them are based in fear. Fear of losing control. Fear of what we might lose. Fear of not having enough. Fear of not being enough. Fear of what other people think. Um, 
you know, it's, I, I can go to Meyer the night before a, a winter storm and take a picture and make fun of people. I've done it. Milk and bread. Hey, here's the truth. 95% of you are going to be fine. You know, you're probably, you're probably going to be just fine. You didn't even need to go to the store, but. And who would have thought that a worldwide lockdown would bring us to a shortage of toilet paper? Right? I mean, we can all laugh at it, but we're like, yeah, that happened. That was real. <laughs> I had my son calling from Florida saying, where did we find? I, I don't even know. I don't know. Beloved, the way of Jesus is what we've been talking about in the Beatitudes. The way of Jesus, believing that God has a different way that he revealed in Christ. And it does not look like, listen to me, fearing for our survival. Okay? Buckets in a basement lined with beans and rice. There might be some wisdom in preparing for the future, but listen to me. Fearing in your basement with buckets of beans and rice is not the way of Jesus. It looks more like looking at a bush and seeing something that isn't there and proclaiming it and agreeing it. Seeing another way called the way of love. The good news that we're proclaiming today is that the way of Jesus is beautiful. It's always beautiful. But it can be painful because Jesus said, here we go. We're, you're going to follow me. It's going to lead to a cross. So the way of Jesus uh, does not look and behave or translate into fear but to love. The way of Jesus is radical love in the face of opposition. It is cross-shaped. And in theological terms, we call it cruciform, okay, Christ-like. It's, it's cruciform uh, love that we're being invited towards. That is the way that Jesus invites you to. As we think of the Beatitudes, we're thinking about a cruciform life. See, it's easy, again, for me to look and, and uh, show up at Meyer on the night before a storm. But the truth is, my response to opposition especially when it's painful and hurtful, uh, especially when people are insulting me. I often find myself going to the basement. Now, I'm using it as a metaphor, okay? Everybody's clear with me, right? I'm not, but I'm saying I often find myself in the basement in survival mode. Fear can do that to us. And that's, uh, here's what I want to say over all of us this morning. That's common to man. Okay, as we've looked at each of these Beatitudes, the common reaction, yeah, there's a common one. Fear, it's common. But Jesus says, blessed are you. Now, I haven't spent a lot of time talking about this word blessed, so I want to do a little bit of that this morning, take a few minutes to talk about that, because it really does give us a context for all of these Beatitudes. Jesus the stuff that you talk about being blessed by I, it actually is painful. Um, I want to go in the basement, and that's a common reaction. We want to hold up our hands and hide uh, from what's causing us pain. And Jesus says something that's incredibly powerful. You're blessed, and you're blessed here and now. Here's two or three things I want to say about the Beatitudes I want to point out. First of all is that word blessed. There are two Hebraic words for blessed. One is barak, and the other one is ashar. 
Uh, Barack is just the way it said, with like, you know, like Barack Obama, B-A-R-A-K, Barack. But it means to bow or to stoop. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is in me, everything in me, the good, the bad, the ugly, bless the Lord, bend to, to do the truth of who he is. Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your disease, redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Beautiful passage. Number six, the Lord says, Moses, I want you to tell your brother to bless the people in this way. The Lord bless you. That is a bodacious statement. Think about this. Aaron this is what the Lord is inviting us to speak. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord is stooping towards you. There's the gospel, beloved. God has stooped towards us. This is why I say any other, any other message that doesn't communicate the truth of God's heart, it winds up God's heart is bent towards you. The Lord bless you, keep you. We are bending to another power at work. The second word, ashar, comes out of, it's used in Psalm 1. How blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or you know, sit in the seat of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Um, what that word literally means is to find the right path. Okay, so tie those two thoughts together. Jesus says, blessed. Here's the right path to experience the bent favor of God. Isn't that good? Ah, here's the right path. The poor in spirit. The persecuted. Those who mourn. And, and by the way... Here's what I want to point out, too, in our modern versions of triumphal Christianity. None of what Jesus calls blessed would make our social media feed. And, you know, yesterday, Denise and I were at Goodwill, and I almost bought this big old honking sign that had a tag on it. I mean, it had a rope on it. It said, blessed. Almost everything in the Beatitudes would make our social media feed where we would say, I'm blessed. I'm mourning. I'm blessed, I'm poor in spirit. But Jesus says, maybe you need to rethink this word blessed, the right pathway of the bent favor of God. Now, here's another thought I want to throw at you. None of the Beatitudes, please hear this, none of these are some sort of... Uh, uh, equation to get the favor of God. Okay? You do this, you get that. It's rather descriptive of the condition that hits all of mankind. We all find ourselves at times of mourning, at times of needing mercy, of wanting to withhold it. I, I mean, it is common to all of us. So my point is, it's not about this is how you make your life work. It's actually a description of how to live differently than the rest of the world around you and your knee-jerk reactions, okay? Everybody hear me? So here, here's the last thing I want to point out about these 
nine Beatitudes. Seven of them. Now, this is, I memorized the Beatitudes. I will, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to, here you go, Jensi. Here's your, here's your challenge. I, I memorized them when I was about your age. Uh, so, first time. Long time ago. But I never noticed this until this week. Okay? Seven of the Beatitudes carry this future tense. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they will or shall, whatever your translation, however it comes out, receive mercy, right? Blessed are those who mourn and grieve, lament. They will be, future tense, comforted. There's only two of them, the first and the last, that are in the present tense. I'm looking at my Bible and went, oh, my goodness, I never saw that. Is, is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, right here, right now, the kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom now. So can I just proclaim this over us? The way of Jesus is now. The way of radical love, of Jesus' radical love is now. Not peering from the basement, but rather a posture that looks like Jesus on the cross, arms stretched out. This is the posture of that beatitude, cruciform, proclaiming that there is another force at work in my life. And this is why I think we need to meditate early and often on the incarnation and the cross as the invitation of what it means to follow Jesus because the way of Jesus and the way of love always leads to a cross. Those are the words of Jesus. Um, we've got so much noise out in, in Christianity, in the, in the Western side of Christianity, especially that communicates the idea that following Jesus is an overcoming life of which you'll be, quote, blessed. And fill in the blank, you know. New car, new this, new that, that we often call blessed. Um, but nothing, I, I've been meditating on this. It, until we get to the resurrection, what part of Jesus' life looks like it's triumphant? Now, there's healings. There's folks raised from the dead. There's people that are fed. But his life, he's overlooked, he's dismissed, He's called all kinds of crazy things, demon-possessed. Uh, he eats with sinners. He's a glutton. And in the end, he's abandoned, betrayed, falsely accused, and executed. And so followers of Jesus who want to point to the resurrection and Jesus' victory as a reason for victory language to talk about being blessed, I, I want to challenge that. To follow Jesus and to be blessed is not about triumph. It's about the cross. It's about the poor and the persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus walks in that in his humanity. And, and I, I remind you that even to the point right before he's crucified, his blood vessels burst staring down what he knows is in front of him. Torture, pain, and execution, and betrayal. So I, I want to say this, and I want to submit this to us, that his hope 
His hope was in that eternal life is going to be revealed. And watch this, that death is not going to be the final word. Okay? So, beloved, I want to proclaim this over us as we think about this. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus reveals at the cross that life comes through death. That's a hard one for us. I'm going to be killed. If you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So that's a hard thing to do, beloved. The posture of radical love is the cross. It reveals that uh, on the cross there's real life that's revealed in self-giving love. Mark Scandrett makes this statement in his book. He said, the illusion that often keeps us from living heroically is that death is the end. And, beloved, it's not. That's the illusion. Jesus reveals something that, uh, to his followers that's transformative. Death is not the greatest enemy of life. It is inevitable, but it is not final. So, And that is our confession. It has been the confession of the church. Our soul is eternally connected to its source of life in Christ. I belong to him. Therefore, insult, injury, persecution, and death cannot disrupt what is most essential to my being, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? So, our invitation as followers of him is that when we're facing difficulty and pain is that we live from a different perspective, not living in fear but in living in hope. Will I live? You see, Paul says, I die daily, right? I die daily. I don't think that was just, he was talking about saying no to sinful choices. What he's saying is, I'm recognizing there's a source of life that isn't just in this life. So will I live in the basement of fear and insecurity, or will I look and, sit and proclaim life in the way of radical love. Perfect love drives out fear is what John says. Paul later goes on and says, uh, I've come to understand that nothing in all of created order is going to be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he testifies more than once, but in Galatians 2 powerfully, he said, I'm not my own. My life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where it is. I've been crucified with him. So it's no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me. Blessed are the persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom. So how would I live if I wasn't afraid to die? Um, I, I think coming to, that, that's part of the question that we try to answer when we come to the table, part of the, our confession. Um, this last week, um, let's see here. It's the 5th, right? On February the 2nd, on the day that Preston had surgery, was Candle Mass Day. Um, the day that the church historically has remembered um, Jesus being brought into the temple. Now, whether or not it happened on that day, we don't know. But the point is that the church somewhere in its history set it right on that day because that was the day that's right in between the, the winter equinox and the summer equinox. And they would go historically and take candles and have them, you know, consecrated. And then they would walk throughout their villages as a proclamation of hope that light is coming into the world. They were, they were in a sense, calling forth life 
out of the earth and out of their own lives. They're recognizing that Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But then he turns and he says, right, you are the light of the world. So, beloved, as we think about these Beatitudes, I, I want to I just proclaim some things over. I, I read something this morning that I just I want to squeeze into my notes this morning. This is a really, really good proclamation. A couple of days from Candlemas. Days are getting longer. May this be a word over us. You're here to be light. This is uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of Matthew 5. Bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as a public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think that I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm going to put you on a light stand. Now that I've put you here on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Beloved, we're surrounded by darkness, especially in these last several years. We can name a number of things. Um, and while we know... The horizon exists even at times when we cannot see it. The sun promises to rise. It will emerge eventually into the light of a new day. For many of us who've kept looking forward, we're looking for a new light. Uh, and that light, Jesus said, is in us. So here's, the, here's an example I want to share with you. Uh, Hookhead Lighthouse is an 850-year-old lighthouse in Ireland. And over the last eight centuries, the source of that light's changed. It was wood fires and coal and oil, and now it's electric. But the light has remained to this day. When an ancient lit the first fire atop that tower in 1172, the area would have been surrounded by near total darkness. Therefore, there was no, quote, trash light in that era of rural Ireland, even a small light held aloft would have been seen for dozens of miles at sea, up and down the coast in all directions. Perhaps the simplest lesson amidst these metaphors is that we should be generous with whatever light that we can muster. So we think about the Beatitudes, okay? Because everybody needs it. Even the smallest, tiniest sparks can be seen from farther away than we can imagine when someone is trying to feel their way through the dark. The light of kindness, the light of generosity, the light of neighborliness, the light of radical inclusion and love, the light of uh, making music, the light of listening without talking, the light of calling people by name, the light of holding space for people until they're ready to move into it, the light of deep breaths, the light of, a non, of being a non-anxious presence in the world, the light of hope, the light of courage, the light of love. Whatever light you have, let your light so shine. Live fearlessly with hope and courage. Beloved, the way of Jesus that we've been talking about is this, not living in a basement with buckets filled with beans and rice, but proclaiming another way, radical love, looking at a bush and proclaiming life. And it's beautiful, beloved. It's beautiful. 
Jesus, you said that uh, perfect love dries out fear. Is your friend who proclaimed that. So, Lord, we ask you today, just continue to birth in us radical love. In the face of opposition, that we embrace this cross-shaped way of life. I'm going to invite us this morning, those of you who are on the call, we invite you to go ahead and grab something for, to share with us in communion. I'm going to invite us, we have just a good thing, I, if you would, stand with me and uh, let's pray this prayer. It's a little bit lengthy. It is an expanded version of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, again, this is put together by our friend Brian Zahn. But I, I, I like it. I often pray this prayer uh, in this way. Sometimes it comes out of me a little buried, but it's the Lord's Prayer in, a, in a, an expanded way. So let's pray this together. Our Father, Holy Father, Abba Father in the heavens, hallowed be holy, sacred be your name. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy government come, thy politics be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy reign and rule come, thy plans and purposes be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we be an anticipation of the age to come. May we embody the reign of Christ here and now. Give us day by day our daily bread. Provide for the poor among us. As we seek first your kingdom and your justice, may all we need be provided for us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Transform us by the Holy Spirit into a forgiving community of forgiven sinners. Lead us not into trouble, trial, tribulation, or temptation. Be mindful of our frame. We're but dust. We can only take so much. Lead us out of the wilderness into the promised land that flows with milk and honey. Lead us out of the badlands into resurrection country. Deliver us from evil and the evil one. Save us from Satan, the accuser and the adversary, so that no weapon formed against us will prosper so that every tongue that rises against us in accusation, you will condemn, so that every fiery dart of the wicked one is extinguished by the shield of faith, so that as we submit to you and resist the devil, the devil flees, so that as we draw near to Jesus, Christ is lifted up. His cross becomes for us the axis of love expressed in forgiveness that refounds the world, and the devil who became the false ruler of the fallen world is driven from among us. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.